Hello fellow homebrewers, JP here, and I want to introduce to you the brand new Brewbuilt X1 Conical Series available at More Beer. More Beer sells the highest standard in homebrewing equipment, and the Brewbuilt Conicals are just that. They're made from mere polished 304 stainless steel, and they come with loads of features that you and I have been looking for. They have a full 2-inch bottom dump valve, which will eliminate your clogging issues, while the sturdy base includes four reinforced legs, just like those big pro tanks do. More Beer also carries the Brewbuilt line of options and add like casters, pressure kits, and even external glycol chillers. So you can find out more about the new Brewbuilt X1 Conical Uni Tanks by going over to morebeer.com for detailed videos on the entire line of Brewbuilt Conicals. You can trust Brewbuilt with your next fermentation, and you can trust More Beer to find the right conical for you. Brewbuilt at morebeer.com. And welcome to the session. Welcome back. It's the all new session. Uh, not everything is new, but a whole bunch of it is new. And so happy to be back once again in the studio. As I told you last week, uh, we're bringing in um, new guests as much as we possibly can. Um, some guests that we've had on before, but uh, just back to the excitement of doing a live show from the Brewing Network studios. And we've got a big 22, uh, 2022 coming up for you in that regard. Uh, tonight is no different. Um, my friend, uh, who, who's who's been a friend of mine in the business for, gosh, I'd say the the, the better part of of the brewing network, and she's been in the business longer than I have. Uh, so we've been friends for over over ten years, and and that is uh, Julia Hers, who's the the brand new uh, executive director of the American Homebrewers Association. Julia, welcome back to the session. Thank you. Hi, Justin. Not long lost friend, because we always seem to kind of fall into where we left off. And hello, everybody listening. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and it's exciting to have you back. And it seems like I've known you in, in several roles um, throughout my, my career. Um, and every one of them, you, you've, you've, <laughs> I don't know, I in some ways, I feel like we've grown up together, because in every role that I've met you, you've taken on more and more challenges and and grown in your career. And every time, uh, not only am I excited about it for you, but I can tell how much more excited you become as you've as you've grown in your career. So your your latest endeavor is exciting to me because the um, American Homebrewers Association is just near and dear to my heart. Of course, the Brewing Network started um, almost solely as a resource for homebrewers, and and that's evolved too. But um, it's still the the root of our. Uh, of our entire entity here. So uh, we're going to dive into all of that with Julia um, uh, over the next hour or so. Um, I did want to get out just a, a couple of announcements real quick. Uh, first of all, thanks to our sponsor, as always, since the beginning of time for the Brewing Network, the folks over at More Beer. We had Chris Graham on uh, our first show back and um, the More Beer has just been with us and supported us. And they're just a great, great uh, homebrew uh, company and resource. And they're jumping into a bunch of new things um, in terms of, of media and video. And I'm going to be working with them on some of that. So don't forget to go over to morebeer.com and check them out um, and, and get your homebrew supplies over there. Also, after a two-year hiatus, I always like to put some of our events in the announcements, uh, the Brewing Network's Spring Brews Festival in Concord, California is back on March 26th. Um, it will be, I guess it's our, it should be our 13th year. It's our 11th year because we don't, we don't get to count the skippies. Uh, so it's our 11th year back. Um, and I'm really excited about it. 62 breweries in the park right here out front of the hop grenade, all outdoors. Uh, we'll be talking to all the local officials about what needs to be done, but we're uh, super happy and super confident that this is going to go off um nicely and and without a hitch so i'm excited for that uh, up a little bit closer uh as san francisco beer week is upon us it's um it starts uh, february 5th i think or 10th 
Um, my first event of the week is going to be our Tasty Tribute Night. Tasty Night, our good friend um, who, who passed on. Um, we're doing 21 taps from uh, Bay Area breweries from all over that are sending special beer that are Tasty approved beers. And those of you who knew Tasty, he was a stickler. He loved all styles of beer, but um, he didn't really mince words about what was a good beer. So we're throwing Tasty Night on February 16th. A bunch of the brewers on our 21 taps are going to show up. We're going to do a show that night. So if you're listening and you're complaining that you're not in, in the San Francisco Bay to attend, well, you might not get to taste all the beers, but I'm going to have a rotating cast of the brewers. Uh, it's going to be kind of one of those epic um, uh, shows where we just get tons of guests in to talk about tasty beers. Um, so those are the things I wanted to get out to you um, event wise. Of course, you can always support us by doing your Amazon shopping. Just click the Amazon banners on our homepage. Um, it's a great way to support us without spending an extra dime. Um, and we appreciate you for it. Okay. Now, now that business is out of the way, Julia, um, just if I wanted to give, cause I've just kind of rambled on about how, knowing you and, the, and the, the many things I've seen you do. Um, could you just give us a little bit about your history in, in the industry and how you've ended up here? Sure. And some people uh, have heard of me and, and, and certainly know me and I know you and, and others don't. I'm always honored to uh, get to kind of do the collective powwow with like minds. And I got into this whole beer thing as a home brewer. And so the BN Army you know, that that hop grenade logo, man, Justin, that really <laughs> says so much. And the energy and enthusiasm you brought to the whole community of beer, I so admire. And, it, you know, you inspire so many people. So I'm super psyched to answer your question about my history. Great. But I will always be biting my tongue halfway through this interview. So you got to let me ask you some questions, too. Okay, that's fair. All right, right on. So when before I was 10 years old, I had one brother who was older than me and my parents. And we lived it outside the district of um, Columbia, D.C., in the Maryland suburbs. And my brother had a beer can collection. So my parents, before I was 10, was taking us into the district. And we would go to this place called the Brickskeller, which if you're an old timer like me and Justin's nodding. Yeah. Um, then you might have heard of Brickskeller, which then evolved to the Beer Baron. Um, and I, I don't know the status of it now. I should probably find out. But this was a place in the 80s and 70s that had more than 500 beers on the menu with no draft, just bottles and cans. And so it was this cellar. It really was a skeller, like brick skeller. You'd go down the stairs and I'm this little girl, like super petite and like going to this dark place. And my parents would order beers and food and be in like the best mood ever and talk to the people next to us exchange cans with them because my brother wanted certain cans and it was always a really happy family outing. So before I was 10, I was thinking about beer in terms of different packages from different producers, looking different colors. They smelled different. They had different stories on the labels. They were from different countries. Mm. And I really do think that set the tone for me to want to start brewing um, in my twenties. Wow. Okay. That's amazing. Yeah. And I do know, I, I, I remember Brick Skeller. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, totally. And so in my 20s, I was a broadcast journalism major in college, got a gig at CNN Washington, D.C. Bureau, believe it or not. Mm -hmm. My parents were psyched. Excellent learnings, excellent exposure. Totally not for me. I made it three years and I just said to my parents, I don't know what I want, but this is not it. They okay. thought I was crazy. Total trauma and drama behind the scenes, but it, was uh, so, yeah. it all paid off. Um, and my friend, Christy, she was a concierge. She felt the same way of her job. So we both left. We were like, we got to go. I was on the road, Justin, for a year almost. Okay. In my Volkswagen Jetta. We call it the Gypsy Jetta. Mm -hmm. And we would, me and Christy would go to national parks, national forests, BLM land. We lived off of $15 a day. We got really in shape, really good at camping. We camped in, you know, land that we could get access to, people's backyards or on people's sofas, you know. Mm -hmm. And when we went to towns that we didn't know anybody, we would go to the brew pubs. And that's where we got the best intel, really good welcome most of the time. And just really, people really, really embraced us. Um, and also on that trip, by the way, I volunteered at the Great American Beer Festival. All right. Totally. Justin, you know a little thing about that, right? Yeah, this is amazing. You see, I love learning new things, too. 
Totally. And if you haven't been to GABF, you got a great American beer festival be in person in 2022 in Denver. So excited. And Justin's hopefully going to be there doing his normal thing. And, and the BN army has a really big, awesome presence. Yeah. Um, and, but I, so back to me, little geeky lady on the road with Christy, we volunteered and I was like all in, I'm like, oh my God, I want to work in beer. And so I get back from that trip. I start working at CNN again. And I'm like jogging in a field one night, like in the dark. And it was like, I'm still, I'm living back in the house I grew up in. And all of a sudden my brain just like lit up with this like question mark of like, really? You left on the road for a year. You had all that growth. You discovered the the West, the Western United States, the Midwest, you know, the West Coast, places in the South. And you're just going to pick up where you left off. And like, so I just broke down and I was like, got to go. Don't know where I'm headed. And that's when I ended up in Colorado. And that's when I ended up working at the Brewers Association, my first tour of duty as sales manager in the late 90s. Yes, I'm 53 years young. Okay. And I was a kid in a candy store. Great experience, great opportunity, hard times. A lot of um, tire kickers had come through beer. Mid 90s in beer, you know, distributors didn't really know anything beyond uh, mass domestics and, you know, uh, really not very flavorful imports. Mm-hmm. Um, brewers didn't know much about beer domestically, um, but were starting to get better footing. So there was like the shakeout and what went on in brewing. And that definitely affected the, the Brewers Association. I also, too, was kind of then coming of age and ready to be a mom. So I left the BA, had two kids, worked at Redstone Meadery. Yeah. That's you know? about, I feel like that's about the time I met you. Maybe not right when you started there, but I, I feel like one of the first times I either interviewed or met you sounds like it was Redstone Meadery. I think no. it makes sense. And you bring up Crispy too. And like, that's the first time, or forgive me, um, Chris Graham. Chris Graham, yeah. That's the first time I met Chris Graham too, is through my Redstone era. And you want to talk about getting your chops, right? Getting your sea legs. Try peddling carbonated meat at 8% alcohol and try to sell it to draft accounts and get them to carry you. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I got scrappy and David Myers, who still has Redstone Meadery today, is doing great. Um, and that was great learnings. And that prepared me for coming back to the Brewers Association to take over for Ray Daniels, frankly, who started the Cicerone program in 2007 and transitioned out of the Brewers Association. And he left um, two jobs, uh, one of which I was lucky enough to get as craft beer program director. Mm hmm. And I'm saying I'm speaking so much, so I'll try to wrap up the lengthy story. I was great to, you know, honored to get that job, honored to be a voice for craft brewers. I really feel like I helped grow a six billion dollar segment to 20 billion plus. Um, In 2007, when I came on, there was 1450 breweries when I left um, last uh, last in 2020. Forgive me. It's almost two years now for covid. Yeah, uh, there was uh, almost, you know, 8000 plus breweries. So really helped create demand for craft beers. And that was my job. I loved it. And I no longer had it along with my team and, and many others in the country who went through COVID layoffs. Yeah. Um, but lo and behold, Brewers Association is, you know, a little, you know, certainly more grounded and back on track. And in evolving to the next era, they were shopping for a uh uh, leader for American Homebrewers Association. And I skipped the whole part in my story where I had homebrewed in my 20s, loved it, and never you know turned back. I brewed 100 plus batches. We can geek out on whatever you want to geek out on. Yeah. I'm an advanced Cicerone at this stage. And I did everything I could, Justin, to educate myself on beer, to be taken seriously in beer. Because frankly, as a petite female, people would look at me not know I was the judge at the table, but think I was the steward, not know I wanted to be the brewer interviewing for that job, but think I wanted to be a server. Right. You know, and I always just wanted to lead and educate in beer. And so I, I've gotten my chance multiple times and, and now I get to lead the AHA. Yeah. So third run with the Brewers Association now with now with the AHA um, under, of course, the blanket of the Brewers Association for those of you folks that don't know that. Um, and, you know, <laughs> You know, of course, you and I could could go off for, uh, well, probably forever about what you just described as as uh, having to sort of fight your way through and 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 how you might have been 
depicted uh, throughout your career. But I got to admit to you, Julia, I don't know how anybody doesn't take you seriously. That's and, funny. And part You're of that charming. is, well, no, no, part of that is because of your hard work, you, because as long as I've known you, you have, have spoken with authority and from a place of, of, of really knowing what you're talking about. Um, and boy, have I talked to, well, people of all types who just sound like a lot of bullshit. So, and I've never, you know, uh, but I know what you mean. And so it's, uh, I, I like your take on things. Like you were just going to work for it no matter what and, and make sure that you, you had the chops and you, and you, you do, and you, and you always had, and I'm really not surprised that the Brewers Association um, would choose you again for this next phase of the Home Brewers Association, um, which, you know, we could talk about is, you know, in fact, maybe a great question just to lead into is, is, is what challenges you think the Homebrewers Association um, either has faced or, or is currently facing in that regard with diversity? Oh, we could talk diversity or any other bigger picture challenges because I think you're any organization right now and today and people really need you, right? I think the whole nonprofit world is really experienced with COVID probably less dollars coming in and more needs from their members and non-members than ever. Sure. Um, you know, you bring up diversity. It comes my way a lot. I'm, I'm multiple areas of diversity. I'm not just, you know, this petite female, like my joke is a hundred pounds in a wet towel and it's true. <laughs> uh-huh. um, but, uh, you know, I have dyslexia, I have ADHD combined, which I didn't even know about until the last few years. And it really knowing, learning those, um, you know, labeled disabilities that are protected by the American Disabilities Act. Yeah. I learned a lot about, oh, all those blind spots like Jahari's window, what you know about yourself that others don't know, what others know about you, but you don't know. Um, you know, so I, I come at it from that end. Um, and then there's also the, you know, the walks of life on, on you know, color of skin and background. Um, it's not just disabilities and, and the diversity angle with the gender piece and, you know, all walks of life when we're all just one big friggin' melting pot, like it really kind of bugs me that mm. we have to talk about this. I'm, you know, I'm, I, I know so many people that have pain from this topic of DEI, you know, and equity and, and equality are two different things. Mm-hmm. And I'd love to, in my kids generation, maybe not my lifetime, get past that. I'm, I'm not confident that we will, but let's keep the pressure on. Right. So one of the things when it comes to beer is beer has no gender, beer has no race, you know, or, um, socioeconomic struggles or, or wealth. Beer is just a beverage in a glass. It teaches us about ourselves. It teaches us about each other. It teaches us geography. It teaches us agriculture. It teaches us, you know, um, traditions and history. It teaches us innovation. It teaches us creativity. It teaches us the gastronomic or the gastronomic, um, you know, pleasures in life of the sensory appreciation of food and beverage beyond survival, beyond just I'm drinking that for thirst and I'm eating that for calories. Mm -hmm. And when I come, that's how I come at beer. And so if I come at beer that way and somebody comes at beer with bias in their orbit, like I just, I end up just not interacting with them as much. And that's, that's a loss on both of our sides. So I'd like to rectify that in homebrewing more um, and, and continue to bring more walks of life into the beverage of beer, the business of beer, just the appreciation of beer and the brewing of beer by reminding anyone, you, you know, it doesn't matter who you are, your physical stature, your executive function, makeup, the color of your skin, you can brew beer. Yeah. So, so let's do it together. Let's talk about right. it together. Sure. Which is a key function, uh, at least in, in my experience with the AHA, the, the key function of, of the membership program, the key function of the association is to encourage communication about it, coming together about it, learning about it. And um, yeah, there's no real, you know, race, creed, color to that either. Um, that's just communication. And, and so the, the, I like what you're saying, just to move past any of those other things and be able to just talk about it, learn about it, be together about it. I mean, over the years, you've heard everybody say, I think it's certainly on my show. Hey, what's your, you know, what's your favorite thing about homebrew con the people. I mean, it, I can get if we did a survey and it was just the answers I've been given over the years, nine out of 10 of everybody's answer would be, oh, it's the people. And then it's, of course, the seminars and the things you get to learn 
And then it's, of course, the beer that you get to try. And all of that has nothing to do with any of the issues that, um, other than to make sure, of course, that it's inclusive. So I like that. Let's just get past and, and move on to the good stuff, you know. Yeah, and take take the intimidation factor out of it. It's intimidating enough just to brew beer. Sure. Um, you oh, know, yeah. but you can do the the simple side. You can make soup, you can make beer, and then you start to doctor it up. And then the next thing you know, you're buying a bigger kettle for your stovetop. Next thing you know, you're on the patio like you and me with Cajun cookers, and you know, I've got the 12 gallon stainless kettles. So it's yeah. all it's all good, but we got to take the intimidation factor out of it. And I think a lot of what I see the American Homebrewers Association being very successful doing over the years is teaching and, and helping people have resources on the how to brew. And I want to take that further and get at the why we brew. And the why we brew continues to bring me closer to you know being more aware of myself and others. And I, I always like to use a great example where I went through, I mean, many of us have been through natural disaster at this point, no matter where you live in the world. Um, and so I went through 2013 Colorado Front Range flooding, uh, very, you know, displaced for two months, FEMA recipient, uh, emergency evac, all that. Wow. And we had friends of ours that lost their house, where, whereas we only had, you know, $20,000 plus in damage. They lost their whole house. Like, you know, houses were floating by my house. Cars were floating by my house. And so this one group um, or crazy. family, it's crazy. You go through it, <clears throat> but then you want to recover. Mm-hmm. And you want to bring new memories, make, you know, it, it kind of get past where you're stuck in, in the in the event of it. And so one of our friends who had been through the event in the worst way that lo- lost their house happened to be homebrewers. Um, and so six months later, after the dust settled, I reached out to them and said, I, I need to do something for you. You're not going to let me, you know, I'm not going to stop asking until you give me a place to put my need to give to you. And I said, I know you're homebrewers. Can we brew a beer? And what do you want to brew? You pick the recipe. I'll bring all my equipment. And then they were so into it. It gave them a super fun day. And then once we brewed it, they got the beer. And then once their house was rebuilt, they tapped that beer to celebrate coming back to their home that was then rebuilt. And they had new homebrew equipment for me because I gave them some of my old homebrew equipment so they could buy bicycles from, you know, to populate their garage with stuff instead of having to put that money towards equipment. Sure, sure. We've all got ways we can help each other through homebrewing. And it's not just giving people your beer. Sometimes it's giving them that experience to brew. Sure. Absolutely. What a, yeah. And just a great, just let's even just say, just to take their mind off of something too, just to have some, cause it's very immersive. It's one of the wonderful things. I think that's why it sucks us all in so well is it's just such an immersive. Uh, and of course you could say life-changing thing. Uh, yeah, I think you're right. And you taught them to fish that day. So that's a nice yeah. thing too. Yeah. <laughs> well, before we have to go to a, a quick break, um, I, I've joked uh, with, with you and, and others. Um, I always would get the title of the executive director of the American Homebrewers Association wrong. I would always say, and please welcome the president of the AHA. <laughs> and there's a unique distinction there because when it's an association, you have a governing body, which I was part of for years, which means there's no excuse for me getting the title wrong, although it did become a good joke. Um, <laughs> but I would anyway. So I wanted you to describe for us, you know, what is an executive director uh, of an organization like this? And specifically, what is your role in the AHA, AHA as that executive director? Sure. And I mean, titles really do matter in terms of communicating what each role is. And I will say that the American Homebrewers Association, again, a 40 plus year institution is a membership class that is part of a larger organization. So you have an executive executive director level on my level, my role that is leading that membership class, the individual homebrewing members. And then, you know, you have uh, President and CEO Bob Pease and um, uh, many others working on behalf of the Brewers Association, which is the, uh, the, the parent organization at this point of the AHA. And interesting trivia, which I'm not now answering your question, I'm getting around okay. it, um, is that the AHA really birthed the whole, you know, Brewers Association. And what Charlie Papazian did, who, you know, he's 20 minutes down the road from me. I just had beers with him at Fritz Family Brewery three days ago. Nice. To say, Charlie, continue to mentor me. How do I learn from you? Let's talk AHA stuff. 
um, he started something that I think it was homebrewing based. And in 1979, the first issue of Zymer G magazine was published. And if you're a member, one of the 37,000 members of American Homebrewers Association, you get Zymer G magazine still to this day. Yeah. And then things evolved to become the Brewers Association on the professional side, which was really more the association of brewers. Um, and then, uh, you know, the, the Brewers Association of America and AOB merged and that created the Brewers Association in 2005. Mm-hmm. And you had a craft brewer definition that was created in 2006. So totally haven't answered your question, um, but it's just to say that the American Homebrew Association has the support and resources of a very robust community um, within the association side on the national level that represents the professional brewer's interest. Mm-hmm. And so I'm excited to get to a new era through being executive director, which again, leads the, um, the, the um, being the voice for, for members and, and um, furthering homebrewing and helping homebrewers reach their goals. Yeah. Uh, I'm excited to take the HA to an even new place. And, and that has to be scripted. I've come in in 2022. I'm getting lots of questions and I am working with the plan I've been given, working with the resources I've been given, but I will get to go through the planning process in 2023. And so will all my coworkers. And we will continue to evolve the American Homebrewers Association to a place that every year from here, I think hopefully is even more relevant, more timely, more appropriate for um, homebrewing needs, not of yesterday, but of what we need going forward. Sure. And, and that's an incredible evolution. I'm actually glad that you, you described all that. And to put a fine point on the support from the larger organization, um, Bob Pease has called me uh, uh, about the very role that you've taken to make sure that he, at the very top of the Brewers Association, the Parent Association, is reaching out to what he thought you know, were influencers and people that have, have been in this industry for a while um, to, to make sure that he was understanding and knowing yeah, like how this, this role should, should move forward. So I really just wanted to put a fine point on that, that you, there's no bullshit in what you're saying about this larger organization really supporting the AHA. And and what a great flip because the AHA ha- helped evolve all of it. Like you said, this, this sort of sprouting tree for, for the rest. And, and I'm really glad the AHA didn't get left behind as some sort of lesser entity or something that is no longer relevant. I think it's a sign of, of not just uh, sort of gratitude of what the AHA has done, but the, the relevancy of it. Right. And I think it's true recognition for the National Professional Organization and the membership who runs that, right? The membership sets the strategic direction, the, the craft brewers to say homebrewing in 2022 is, and 2021 is still very relevant. And we see the value that homebrewers bring to this whole community and business and culture of beer. Yeah. And you're absolutely right. Um, homebrewing is, if not, you know, as relevant, but even more so um, in terms of the, the need for the health of the innovation of brewing. Um, the experimentation, uh, you know, the beer lover side of brewing really comes from the geekiest of the geek first. Yeah. And, and that's us homebrewers. Sure. Well, why don't we do this? Because we can dive in here and talk about the evolution of homebrewing and how it's still relevant. Um, and in some ways, what parts aren't relevant um, anymore. So we're going to take a quick break um, to, to pay some uh, love to our sponsors. We'll be right back after these words with Julia Hers. We are back. Thank you for sticking with us here with Julia Hers, the executive director of the American Homebrewers Association. And we are talking homebrewing, something that has never left the brewing network and, um, you know, probably never will. And just before the break, we're, of course, we're getting into sort of the, this evolution and, and influence on homebrewing. And, you know, one of the things I wanted to start with there, Julia, is that part of the evolution of homebrewing and, and in in some ways this could be considered negative, but I think in light of how the industry as a whole has come about, it's actually turning out to be quite positive. And that is, you know, when I started in 2005, homebrewing was really on this surge. 
of new members. It's part of, you know, I, I, I've said to people for years that a, a big part of the Brewing Network success was the, really the right place at the right time, uh, an emerge, a convergence of technology and this growing, uh, you know, buzz around homebrewing that I was able to participate in, encourage. Um, and over the years, um, as part of that excitement was that th there wasn't a, a craft brewer in, in every town. There certainly wasn't four in every major town. <laughs> and there definitely wasn't 20 in every major town. Um, and so part of the allure of homebrewing too was, was the same as, as when Charlie started the association. And that was, if you want a great beer, you, you, you could also just make it at home. You know, and it wasn't, um, if you wanted a little more variety, uh, you, you should do it yourself, right? And so that was part of this revolution that lasted for several decades and peaked, I, I, you know, not, not peaked, really took off in the, those mid 2000s, the 2005 to 10, um, a little further. But then to no fault of homebrewing's popularity, well, or maybe depending how you look at it, as craft brewers started popping up more and more and brewing this great beer that we could purchase, um, those of us like me who were a little lazier than others, well, we just, the, the access to professional great craft beer for me, reduced my need to brew it. And, you know, there's these several factors in why you love homebrewing. Some, some of it's science, some it's, it's uh, the, the creativity, the artistic. Some of it was really the need and a necessity, right? So as professional brewing grew, then this necessity sort of dove a little bit, right? So it's just part of our evolution. And now I think it's coming, the, not the necessity, but the intrinsic art and science and good feeling and sharing that you've already mentioned. That's bringing homebrewing homebrewing back again, and the pandemic, take it or leave it, assisted in that. Right when you got stuck at home again, and now this sort of inner feelings, these the goodwill, the the focus, the so many things that homebrewing can bring you. Any good hobby, let's face it, but homebrewing I, I think is special. Started to come back right over the last couple of years. I'm going to say, A, very eloquent. I love what you just shared because <laughs> okay. I, I agree. And the pandemic that we're still in, which I, I do think somewhat might be endemic to our entire, you know, the rest of our lives and future generations, too, in some form. Yeah. Um, did push people, especially in the States. Uh, again, if you're living more than hand to mouth, and you have time to dabble and nurture and enrich yourself, you're going to do hobbies and the home DIY. Like even I started sourdough starter bread making last year, like of all the years, because it yeah, was yeah. freaking COVID and people were handing each other sourdough starters. Right. Um, so when you spend more time at home, I think you get to nest more and enrich, you know, what you are, where you're living. And to me, that's why I do feel encouraged by what you're saying in that homebrewing has such a place in that arena because it's nurturing. It is DIY. It is um, cooking on stovetop instead of ordering out, right? You're not going to order out all the time. You're going to cook and you're going to be proud of your creations. And so why not take that to everything from bread making to, to beer making, um, and, and do more than dabble because you want to get good at it. So the future of homebrewing, and again, I'm dealing with a lot of, tell me about the past. How do you feel about the American Homebrew Association? How do you feel as a homebrewer? What does that mean to you? Eventually, I want to help write the script of yeah. what it means to us in, in our heads in the future. Um, and so we've acknowledged the past. That's very important. You learn from the past, but you do all that so you can write a future. And I think the future isn't just, you know, a million plus homebrewers, because that's was documented by the Brewers Association and the AHA a few years ago. Um, and I also have a stat that 40% of the million point one, um, you know, began homebrewing in the last few years. And that mm. was, that was a pandemic. Uh, that was a pre-pandemic stat. Yeah. So if we had all those no, new homebrewers coming online before COVID, Wow, let's you know uh, some homebrew shops un unfortunately did close during COVID. Any many retailers were dealing with a lot, but some are flourishing even more than before. Sure. 
And so I, I really think that scripting homebrewing, and I, I don't have the list of like what's hot in homebrewing. I'm out there asking that, yeah. right? But what can homebrewing do to take the whole beverage of beer further? I think that that story is still being written. And a lot of styles that you will point to, probably homebrewers had their fingerprints on creating and establishing that style in the first place. Right. Because many brewers were, you know, they're not doing it the pilot system before they even get to the pilot system to then scale it up to go commercial. They're doing it on their stovetop at home. And that's a great example of, of homebrewing, um, you know, on the commercial level. So sure, there's sure. a lot still to, to be discovered that homebrewing is going to fuel. Yeah, I think you're right. And it's rooted in some of our past, but there does need to uh, certainly be a, a what's next sort of sort of moment. And I, I will tell you, I don't know that my finger is exactly on that on that pulse just yet. I'm just getting back into the studio right after a couple year hiatus. But I will tell you that I, you know, one of our, our first shows back, Wild Fields, a couple of weeks ago comes in. It's a new brewery and they tell me they're having a homebrew competition. It's their second annual homebrew competition at their brewery. And I'm thinking, wait a second, this is still happening and their ideas, too, were that, hey, if we don't get our customers involved and new people involved in homebrewing, we might not see new beer, like new beer styles. We might not see new beer uh, breweries, you know, as, as much as we have in the past. We want to get people involved in this. It, and other industries have done the same, right? The more you get the love involved, the more you get the excitement going, it, the better it is for the industry. Being exclusive is almost never a good plan. In the 1% of the world, it's a pretty good plan to be exclusive. <laughs> but in the rest of the world, it actually doesn't really help the business. It doesn't really help the hobby. Um, you know, that sort of exclusivity can be, um, you know, pretty difficult for any hobby or industry. So I like to see that, that even new breweries are still putting out homebrew competitions and things like that. My yeah. local, go ahead. Yeah. Well, no, just to riff on that, it's like, it's all about sharing. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't think there's many homebrewers out there that are busy just drinking it in their basement. Sure, right. we drink in our basements, but we share. Yeah. And, and that's where we get feedback. That's where we get jazz. That's where we know how to tweak the recipe. That's where we discover new recipes. I mean, frankly, homebrew recipe to homebrew recipe, and there's thousand plus on homebrewersassociation.org with you know national homebrew competition, competition medal winners and many others. Those recipes are... A gift to find. And so people even sharing recipes is, is a way that this is kind of being, we're forwarding each other. We're taking each other out of that comfort zone of, oh, you only brew lagers. Here's my ale recipe. Come brew it with me. Or, hey, why don't you brew it? And so mm -hmm. I think that's some of what I'd love to continue to see and getting it where you're talking about is, yeah, it, we're not insular in what we do. We don't just share the beer with each other, too. We share the recipes with each other to get to that beer in the first place. Sure, sure. Okay, so the only theory I think I have to share with you, I say only now, I'll probably have three more. Go ahead, let's get go. some Justinisms. Is, okay, so if the staying home from work had this boost in DIY and getting us back to homebrewing and, and other things, as we go back to work, we're now attached to this change in how work is done. This is this part of my theory is not new, obviously, right? So this is not new. Everybody knows that right now, this it remains to be seen how going back to work will either be the same or not the same. Uh, many of us will continue to work from home. There'll be hybrid working from home. Many people are choosing to move out of metropolises because they, the office scenario is, is not as in demand as it once was. It remains to be seen if that's a short-term trend or a long-term one. But as this pandemic has frightened us and will become endemic and has, has changed the way we think, or at least is making us finalize the changes in the way we think, homebrewing's continued growth will be completely attached to that. So will making sourdough at home. So will, you know, this is not, like I said, this is not some crazy epiphany. So to me, the continued growth of homebrewing that began in the pandemic or continued um, is directly attached to the decisions we make about how we live and work, where we live and work. Because the farther we go out into the suburbs and into the mountains, 
the more we're brewing beer to share with our neighbors is, I guess, the crux of my theory. What do you call your theory? Because I, I like it. And I want to name. I want to name it. <laughs> That's Crosley's theory, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> obviously. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't think that far ahead, Julie, because I'm never the one who's like, I just, I do a lot of thinking. Um, but I'm no scholar by any means. But I do a lot. I spend a lot of time thinking about people and the way they work and then what makes them tick. I, I, I just, I always have. And yeah. I think that's my attraction to homebrewing and this podcast rather than being a broadcaster. Like I think if you and I had a conversation about why CNN turned you off, it would be the same thing of why traditional broadcasting turned me off. Cause sure. my attraction was to use my voice and my talents to learn about people and bring them together. Right. So all I do is I just do a lot of observing observing and 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 i just think that this need for connection well this now this sort of need for isolation then leads again to a need for connection and that's with our neighbors and these communities that we've moved to we think it's amazing that we no longer have to show up at the office anymore but eventually it's going to lead to a little bit of loneliness because we also have made coworker friends that we hung out with so this to me is where this like growing of homebrewing comes back or continues. Okay, That's, great. Yeah. We still don't have a sentence, no, but, no. or name, but no. I, I totally agree. <laughs> and you're, what you're triggering is, is what grounds us, right? What nurtures us hmm. and everything is a choice. I think the needs are always going to be there, Justin. Sometimes we push away the need, but when, for example, when I fell in love with my husband, I, I, he, he made me chickpea chili, like one of the first times we met. And you could tell just hit the act of him making that dish and then sharing it with me was so nurturing. And every time he makes chickpea chili, he's just in a good mood. Yeah. And that's like homebrewing. And sure, you can be tired and like, oh, God, I brewed shit. Now I got to transfer it and keg it. Oh, I don't have time to, you know, to put the pull it off the, the cherries and it's going to get a little tannic. Like you have to prioritize your time when you get home brewing and have it bubbling along and it needs you. Right. Yeah. But that need, you know, we're in service of the yeast as Michael Pollan said, they're in charge, not us. Mm -hmm. um, we're just vehicles for their, you know, enjoyment and pleasure to secrete alcohol and CO2. Um, that is a very powerful grounding item and thing and rewarding beyond anything I can describe. And I mean, I, I've been saying a lot of my stories lately and anyone that listens to me talk, it's like, look, when you're a home brewer, it's so cool because you don't just brew it and you're done that day. Then you have a carboy and because it's neat, it's a Saison and you need to ferment it warm. It's, it's bubbling away in your, in your bedroom because that's the warmest place in the house. And by the way, I put my favorite T-shirt on it so it doesn't get light struck. So every time I look across the room, I lovingly know that I'm taking care of that carboy. Yeah. And that's going on for weeks. And then the day I transfer it or the night I transfer it, yes, I have to carve out the time. That too, once it's all done and packaged and then it's going to, you know, um, carbonate on its own because I'm bottle conditioning it or whatever, like that's just so cool. And then two or three weeks later, I'm not just tasting it to see how it did from when I took the final gravity reading and packaged it, but to now see how it all rounded out and how it's come together. And then there's a whole nother phase of the process where I then maybe label it and I hand it to people for gifts. And it comes from my heart to do that. It's no different than walking across the street when someone had a baby or, you know, a death in the family and you bring them a meal. Yeah. When you hand somebody a homebrew that you brewed, that is one of the most meaningful ways you can connect with them and say, I care about you. I care about your opinion. Hope you enjoy it. Let me know what you think. And so all of what you just described, which I don't know how to wrap it up in that sentence yet, yeah. you trigger the needs are there. We have a need for connection. We have a need to give back. We have a need to nurture ourselves. And I'm just here to say that homebrewing personally has done that for me. And it's, it's busy doing that for millions of people globally. Um, and I'm here to help more people do it even more. Yes. And so I, I know we want to not just always talk about the past, but it's one of those things that like things have changed and nothing's changed. And that's still the future of homebrewing um, because the, maybe just the ways we connect or, or 
the the inclusivity of the way we connect or the the larger the love instead of the narrow uh those are the things that are, will evolve and change but the root of it is still the love and the connection and the sharing yeah i totally agree i will i have to call a spade a spade though because there's a dark side to the homebrewer mentality where Social media can get pretty nasty. And I've been, mm. you know, in it now for uh, many years in the social side. And I'm here to say that if you are passionate enough to be upset about something, um, bring forth solution, not just complaint. And mm. remember that anyone that you are preaching to digitally, it, it, speak, speak to them as if you were speaking to them in person. Yeah, And I, I see a lot of um, beyond that going on where there's just a lot of, you know, type, type the type the post and send. And I think that's counter to the spirit of what homing, homebrewing is about. And I often see that related to somebody talking about a specific homebrew topic and any other topic. Right. Like any other hobby, any other thing in life, we're going to have the fringe um, part of it. And I, I just I just want to encourage anyone to know, like. There's real people like Justin and me that you're listening to that are accessible. You can find us. We're going to, you know, communicate with you. And so I think everyone should give each other a chance. It is kind of back to that discrimination and bias. Um, If I work for a national organization, don't immediately assume I'm an inaccessible individual. Um, I want you to immediately assume that I am a very accessible individual that wants to be on your side and wants to support you as, as a member and a hobbyist. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's funny that like you and I are kind of poetic about this. And I, I totally go into that space and I always have to remind myself and I get reminded by social, like, Oh God, keep those guardrails on. Don't yeah. be too joyful. Like make sure you, you know, you really do the straight and arrow because someone's just going to come along and, and criticize and like for sure. Anyone listening to this probably isn't in that space. Um, but I think we have a place in this whole realm and, and scheme of things if we really want to have success as a, as a community of hobbyists to keep each other in check in that arena. Sure. Okay. So HomebrewCon is coming up uh, June 23rd through the 25th. Um, where is it this year? At Philly? Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Pittsburgh. That's right. Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, 23rd through the 25th. Um, I will be there. Um, I'm always there when it's live. So, um, I will be there, uh, one way or another. Um, and it's actual homebrewers like you, uh, those of you who've been listening over the years know this, uh, are the ones who give the seminars actually sometimes pro brewers too, which is always fun. Um, and you, the seminar submissions are being accepted through, uh, February 11th, 11th, 11th. Yep. February yep. 11th. Uh, you can go to homebrewcon.org. And there's a link right there. Um, just scroll down a little bit on the homepage and you're going to find it. Um, and so do you, as a, as the governing committee of the AHA, which is elected, and you as the executive director, and I guess all the way up to Bob Pease and, and those in the, in the Brewers Association, do you talk about the types of seminars that you'd like to see? And, and is there maybe a particular change in, in that this year? First of all, being the first year back for a couple of years. And second of all, talking about the type of, of change and moving forward that we want to see. So grain of salt, you're talking to me in my second month of the job. That's um, okay. So Just, that's important. We can, we can talk in theory. It's all right. <laughs> and I think what Justin, for any of your listeners, what Justin's getting at is the National Homebrew Conference tied to the National Homebrew Competition and Homebrew Con, which is the annual gathering of, you know, thousand plus, 2000 plus people uh, that will be in 2022 in Pittsburgh. So I, I love the opportunity to, to learn more about it. I've been to multiple homebrew cons, but not in the seat of trying to really construct the content. Mm. And that will be driven, frankly, by the subcommittee of those that were are willing to roll up their sleeves and get at the different tracks. And so I think this year there is talk of collapsing in tracks and generalizing more but then also having more areas of specialty. There definitely will be an emphasis as much on going pro with that counterbalance by the beginner homebrewer. Mm-hmm. I want to see more beginner homebrewers at this conference. And then we also, you know, will do better than ever on diversity, equity, and inclusion and gathering, you know, that kind of community of people that really want to put that topic front and center and forth. And so I think we're going to have lots of, um, talks that would never really two years ago, maybe even have been proposed. 
I'm hoping we have an even more robust um, speaker pool, and that's certainly one of our goals. Um, keynote hasn't been announced, but you just might get some surprises there on um, on who and, and how we do it. Nice. Um, and there's also some changes on the competition side because the National Homebrew Competition, which happens in concert with HomebrewCon, traditionally is only final round. And let's say, you know, first of all, you're talking to a lady that has bagged a medal when I didn't work for the association um, in HomebrewCon for Old Ale. So, you know, I know a thing or two. Yeah. And, and my husband and I, like silver medal at Old Ale um, in the early 2000s was pretty freaking cool. And so I've been through first round and then got the invite because I forwarded to then ship out another bottles to, to second round. But you have COVID. And so we don't have the ability comfortably to put on 10 plus local competitions to execute first round judging in 10 different areas. Actually, it's been 14 at certain points, 14 different competitions in the country to be first round to then send those final beers to, to final round. So what's happening is historic at 2022. And I love a positive spin on it because I'm just super jazzed. Well, we're going to execute it on the level of Great American Beer Festival and World Beer Cup with that world-class team behind it wow. and give home brewers a chance to have their beers judged in a similar fashion to the way commercial entries are judged at GABF and World Beer Cup. So it's not your standard BJCP style judging. It certainly pays heed to it. It's all in on the guidelines. We're still using 2015. We haven't flipped the switch to 2021. But this is a competition that gets the homebrew side that's going to drill down on the more important level of feedback. We're asking the judges this year, your biggest job is feedback to improve entries. That is such a key aspect of what needs to go on the score sheet. So this is only, this is the most robust judge pool gathered ever, you know, each year for, for homebrewers. It's BJCP or Beer Judge Certification Program. Certified level judges are higher. And then World Beer Cup and GABF judges as well at the table. Wow. And so I'm excited. There's a lot of change though. And change is hard for, for a lot of people that were pleased with how we did it in the past. But I'm also hoping people are pleased if they give us a chance to judge their beer in the National Homebrew Competition to see what it's like to be judged as if you were a commercial beer and also still then get feedback on if you made it to further rounds um, during the whole NHC three days of judging. I see. Oh, this that's really exciting. And I was privy to this being an idea. I didn't know that that was the decision you guys had made. And it's really exciting. So I got to go to the the first GABF judging during COVID where this format has was sort of switched, which, of course, was still based on all the past GABF and World Beer Cup judging. It was done the same. But but instead of done during all during the three days of each of those events, it happened before. And they were talking then about making this change for homebrewers. And I think that's really exciting, uh, especially because homebrewers over the years, we've always talked about on the show, listen, the feedback's important. Um, and some of the complaints we get, you know, my, my, my friend and co-host JP would love to complain about the lack of, of comments that he got and the lack of. Um, so this is exciting that that's a focus and kind of a different and bringing in you know, judges above even the, the BJCP. I think that's cool. That's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. So it's some evolution from 2021, which I also judged in, okay. um, but it's okay. not back to the standard score sheet. Anyone's used to from the BJCP um, really modeled after national homebrew competition of the past. This is circa 2022 and let's, let's run with it. Let's have, let's slam dunk how many entries we get and let's have the best competition head to head. Yeah. Um, of homebrewers yet. And then we'll continue to evolve and grow it in 2023. I love it. All right. Let me take us to one more quick break. And when we come back, we're going to learn more about HomebrewCon, what's next for the AHA, and, and of course, uh, Julia's role in that. So hang in there. You're listening to the session. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the session. We are still here with Julia Hers and talking homebrew and homebrew con and and starting and and just started getting into the national homebrew competition, which the competitions and not just the homebrew, but that's when I started with. So I've been lucky enough to broadcast every major Brewers Association competition for over ten years. Uh, I volunteered to do it when you couldn't even stream video. It was just audio um, in 2006. 
um, and I've been doing it ever since. And one of the things that made me fall in love with the hobby was seeing brewers win. Um, and I guess lose too, because even they're all just emotions. Just some are, you know, <laughs> some are sad, some are happy. But seeing the joy on on people's faces, and when I evolved into doing the GABF and had made friends with those professional brewers, ah, there's such a like a yeah, it's such a meaningful part of my career to be a part of that and watch um, uh, people win and 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 get comments and share in that way. So I love that the competition is evolving and 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 going strong and and moving forward because I know that uh, people were worried and and that you know, the COVID, that COVID might even mess up competitions. So let's talk with that. That being said, let's just get some logistics out there. If we could tell people like when the entry dates are coming up for homebrew con and things like that. Sure. So registration for homebrew, a national homebrew competition will be March 22nd to 29th. And that I think is key to keep in mind. It's a, it's a week long window. Okay. March 3, 22 through 29. Okay. And then eventually those will be sent to uh, Pittsburgh um, where they're judged over, over three days, uh, yeah. which, which is nice not to have uh, several uh, shipping windows for me. Again, one of my downfalls in homebrewing was my laziness. So I like this, this one ship, get it all done and find out who these winners are. Yeah. And I mentioned I had won a national homebrew competition medal with my husband and for second round, because first round in that day was at a different location, we shipped to, to NHC and the um, private carrier broke the bottles. And oh. so luckily we had enough to ship again. So that was three shipments for me. Right. And I, I definitely guarantee that that's happened to many people. So it's a bonus for those that would have advanced yeah, um, yeah. to not have to ship twice. Uh, but it's, you know, it's getting used to all of it being judged in, in one consecutive session. And so that's a that's an evolution, certainly COVID caused, but it is what it is. Yeah. And, you know, so change has to come and it has to come in several forms and nobody you, you can't please everybody. So I, I'm saying this because I'm sure that there are people who are, are not quite happy about all the changes. And of course, there's nothing you, you can do about pleasing everybody. But I will say that after things grow for a little while, it does, you know, you got to make these 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 hard changes. When the Brewing Network won, Brewing Network as a club, actually, it wasn't the Brewing Network. It was our listeners who, who defined themselves as the Brewing Network club, um, won like something like four or six years straight. I don't, I don't remember. Um, you know, it got, a, it got a little heated and it got a little heavy for me, even, even though I wasn't the leader of this, this club. These were our listeners um, because the change was resistant. But in the end... What the change did was allow these brewers from all over the country to feel a part of a club. And then as part of that club, win like in unison as, as the Brewing Network. And that evolution, while painful for some, was really meaningful for others. And we talked about it earlier. You just, just remember that there's people behind all of this stuff. So <laughs> as this change happens, don't hesitate to enter because you're not too keen yet on the new rules or at least give it a chance. Let's give everybody. I just encourage you to give it a shot. Um, I love that Julia said that feedback is one of the primary, you know, focuses. And we've always said getting feedback on your beer, like real feedback, because right, most that's of your, the goal, right? Yeah, that's yeah. the goal. Most of your friends next door that you're bringing a free six pack to, they're not going to give you, they're not going to give you real feedback. Every beer you bring is wonderful to them. Trust me, but it probably needs some work. And these judges are going to help you find that. So, right. and so our job in 2022, besides gathering the most prolific judge pool in homebrewing history all year long is to ensure that the judges give valuable feedback that the entrant can learn from. Nice. And I'm confident that we've got the team in place, the learnings from last year and the situation at hand to really deliver on that. Um, and I want to see the most robust, healthy competition at HomebrewCon possible. I, I just can't wait to, to sit and judge it and watch it unfold. Um, you know, the blind essence of uh, how these beers are served and the, and the approach from being on the Great American Beer Festival and World Beer Cup uh, competition team is bar none and ensures that these judges are presented beers in a fashion 
that is blind, that is in a situation where you are getting objective feedback in a way you just won't get in any other place. And and so I just can't wait to see who wins. I can't wait to see who enters. And I can't wait to see the feedback from how we did and and how we learn from that and and continue to grow it. Same. And at this time, and I ask this selfishly because I love seeing it and being a part of it, is there going to be a live award ceremony at HomebrewCon as there had been in past? Is that still part of the plan? Yeah, that is absolutely part of the plan. And I'd hope you're part of the plan and being there and doing you know what you do, Justin. And I think uh, that will be so meaningful. All of the Brewers Association events for 2022 are planned in person. And Love we've it. got, you know, Saver is happening the same uh, week as the National Homebrew Competition and HomebrewCon. Great American Beer Festival, and frankly, even earlier than all that, and in person in May in Minneapolis is the Craft Brewers Conference and World Beer Cup. So and there's a, there's a there's a lot ahead of us. That's exciting. I actually just got an email uh, from Nancy Johnson, the uh, director of events. Uh, that's I probably got her title wrong too. Uh, Vice president of events or something. Um, but yes, I will be at World Beer Cup. Uh, just getting keyed into all of those things. Um, but now just learning from you about, about homebrew con. So that's, that's exciting. Um, all right. Well, Julia, uh, I feel like there's a, a bright future ahead uh, for homebrewing. Um, and I say that, you know, it sounds silly to say, but there was a little decline there and it, and it, it, it didn't it have me a little worried. And I, and I love this uptick. I really like this kind of camaraderie, bringing it back. And, and now I'm really optimistic again. I really, and I really think that, um, I don't know. You and I, we're going to see a lot of changes still uh, ahead of us. And that's, that's exciting. It's got me, it's got me back into it. You know, it's got me really fired up about it. Awesome. Uh, now all you got to do is plan your next beer and, and brew it. We have uh, you know, big brews May 2nd. Uh, that's a great chance. And the biggest beer made all year globally at one yeah. time, frankly, is big brew more to come on where that'll land this year in terms of American homebrewers association expressing uh, suggestions for the approach or the recipe, but yeah, I mean, Justin, we got it. We, I'm glad you're jazzed. I'm jazzed too. I've got a next batch. I, I recently brewed brave noise as my first batch out of the gates as AHA director or executive director. I also um, recently brewed my standalone cherry Chica stout, which is a uh, BJCP um, hot barley in the ailers winner. Nice. And now I'm going to brew a Charlie Papazian Hellas that he personally gave me the recipe that was also published in Zymergy, but he gave me his like notes on it. And I'm going to honor Charlie. And I just, I can't wait to keep brewing like once a month. Like that's, I want to keep that carboy bubbling away in my bedroom with my favorite t-shirt on it, you know, have Heck to yeah. transfer it and, and get it. Always have something to share with people. Well, I look forward to trying your beer at the conference then. That'll be fun. Yeah. Good call. I should <laughs> probably get a few kegs ready. Yeah. And then what about, do you know, uh, the HA governing committee is still there and elected and, and that's all going just as it ever was. The pandemic didn't disrupt any of that. Well, I think the pandemic definitely disrupted some of the subcommittee level work. Um, okay. And a lot more people are looking to you know give to their national organization and volunteer to advance homebrewing and help homebrewers reach the goal, our goals. So Governing committee is a group group governing body of 15 people that advise um, the AHA, and that is still going strong. We meet monthly, which is amazing, and they are an amazing group that I've gotten to know of a collective body of just sweet, wonderful people. There'll be three um, rotating off and three newbies coming on. We're getting ready to announce elections of 12 people that'll be on the ballot. Oh, good. So, you know, in the scheme of things, is homebrew and saving the world? And, you know, do we have to, to have to, you know, really uh, stress about it? Hell no. But in the scheme of things, is homebrewing helping the world? Hell yes. Yeah. So the people that, that advise and, and run the governing committee um, to be the voice for homebrewers and the membership, I think are a great essential um, group that I'm getting to know and learning from and getting guidance from. So I hope that anyone that comes across any of those members Gives them kudos and heed. Justin is a past GC um, Mm -hmm. member, which is amazing. And then I'd look to see the subcommittees get going again so they can kind of be the the hands of the um, membership to get some more uh, progress made on the on the subcommittee level. And and, I don't know, help the HA dig, dig a little deeper. I love it. 
Okay. Well, if I don't see you before, I will see you at HomebrewCon. It's June 23rd through the 25th. Go to homebrewcon.org for more information on that. You're, you're going to want to do that soon too. Those of you who have never been uh, right there on homebrewcon.org, there's also buttons to click for hotels. You get a discount. Um, in 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 my past, they they sell out. You know, so you you just want to go there. I'm not saying they sell out overnight or anything, but get there early. Um, make sure you click on your hotel. That way, you can stay. Uh, you know, right on site. I've always liked to stay right on site because you can stay late and do your thing and just kind of walk back to your room. Um, also, go to homebrewersassociation.org, which has really evolved over the years too. A, a great resource. You can sign up for your membership there. You can also sign up through the Brewing Network. There's an AHA sign up link right on my homepage at brewingnetwork.com. Um, it's a, you know what? It's the most affordable uh, membership um, you, you can have. Um, and, and it gives you a lot, like Zymergy Magazine, the Brew Guru app, uh, which will give you locations. It gives you discounts everywhere, like right here at my bar, the Hop Grenade. You get a discount every time you come in. Um, it pays for itself really quickly, and you're supporting just a, a great uh, organization and a bunch of great people. So uh, don't forget, we've got SF Beer Week Tasty Night coming up February 16th. Love to see your faces out here, and I'll be doing shows right here on the Brewing Network that night too julia thank you again for being a part of the show it's always great to see you and i'm really excited for this next phase in your career thanks justin great to talk with you you do so much um hi to everyone out there good beers to you be well be healthy be happy and uh keep in touch all right folks take care of yourselves and your beer 